From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. The word legend often gets bandied around more than it should, but it's certainly apropos when it comes to discussing the career of Billy Donovan. On today's show, we'll start by hearing from Billy himself as he recounts his time in Gainesville and what the naming of the court in his honor means during a candid conversation with FloridaGators.com senior writer Chris Harry. Then, we'll be joined by Chris and Scott to discuss the magnitude of Billy D's enshrinement, another must-win game for hoops, what to expect from opening weekend for baseball, another major football scheduling announcement, and possible changes to baseball's playoff system in the PAT. But first, you aren't likely to find someone as successful as Billy Donovan that is also as humble as he is. Now five years removed from his nearly two-decade run leading the Orange and Blue, he's still the first to deflect any attention or praise directed his way. Chris Harry ventured to Oklahoma City last week to visit with Billy during a short break in his NBA schedule, and we were happy to be a fly on the wall as the subject turned to this weekend's impending milestone. Oh, I mean, it's 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 hard to imagine. Um, I think it will be very emotional. I think there'll be a lot of emotions that I'll think about from you know, having a very, very young family starting there to living in a community that I could never imagine would be so healthy and so great for my kids and my wife. And then obviously working with a group of people that I've had a chance to work with for so long. And then probably the biggest thing was, you know, just Jeremy, you know, being there with me every step of the way from the hiring process all the way to the end. Um, so I think when you think, when I see that there's going to be a lot of things that will go through my mind in terms of like the immediate job with Jeremy the coaches, my family. But then the other thing that really comes to mind for me is just the players. You know, without them, you know, you're not going to have the level of success that some of those teams had. They were a major, major factor in all of it. And I think the humbling part of it is, and I've always believed this, is if you want to accomplish something like really, really big and it's really, really important and really, really meaningful, chances are you can't do it by yourself. You have to do it with other people. And that's the thing that I think was, will really, I'll reflect most on is that it had, it was just everybody. It was Jeremy and the fact that really his whole entire staff was, you know, there almost every step of the way from Mike Hill to Jamie McCloskey to Linda Teeler to, you know, Chip Howard, uh, you know, all of them. And then I think about having Duke, the trainer there for so long and, and Tracy, uh, the secretary there for so long and then having, Anthony Grant and John Pelfrey and Donnie Jones there with me for so long. Um, and then having new coaches come in like Larry Shiat and Rashawn Burno and Richard Pitino and Rob Lanier, uh, and John Pelfrey coming back, uh, Anthony coming back, um, you know, the same academic advisor and Tom Williams. <laughs> it's just like that doesn't happen unless of the quality of people and the people there at Florida were just incredible from the administration to people on campus to the people I worked with in, in my job, to the players. Mm-hmm. It was like everything. It was like a perfect storm. Everybody who, I mean, I've been around guys and interviewed people that are going to the Hall of Fames and 
having you know, retired. And they all talk about, even when you left, uh, you're still at the podium for your farewell talk. You talked about you're going to remember relationships. And relationships are key to everything mm-hmm. they, when it comes to success. Right. That's kind of what you're talking about here, right? Yeah, I just think the whole relationship part is incredible. And I think what happens is in the relationship piece is you have to have a really, really, really shared vision. You have to have a really, really common beliefs and you have to be rowing the boat in the same direction. You know, Jeremy and I, for 19 years, didn't always agree on everything, but we always put the university first and we always made decisions in the best interest of the university. And um, I felt like what I believed in and what I valued as a coach, I think Jeremy believed in and valued as an athletic director. And I think that's why we were able to work so well together is we share the, uh, the same thing. And I think that we could always communicate and bounce things off of each other in, in terms of um, what was best in a given situation. And we could disagree on certain things, but we both knew where our intentions were. And the intentions were always University of Florida, and it was always the basketball program. That's what I was in charge of. Um, and I always felt like he had my best interest in that. When you scan campuses, names on buildings, especially in athletics, are usually reserved as recognition for people who are generous, write checks and what have you. Uh, there's one building across from the Odom that says, now says Steve Spurrier Field on it. Yours is going to be Billy Donovan Court. That's, that's some pretty good company to be keeping. I mean, there's got to be a source of pride. You t- I know. I, you keep deflecting. It's about other people. It's about other people. Come on, you know. No, I mean, it's, I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean, obviously, this, this Coach Spurrier, you know, coming in there and being able to build a relationship with him, mm-hmm. and him being so gracious, and the way he probably revolutionized or changed college football with the things that he did offensively. Getting a chance to be around him was a great thing. Um, the one thing I always really appreciated too, the relationship part of it was, you know, from Urban mm-hmm. to Ron Zook. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't there that long enough with Jim. I always felt like we, it was great being around all those guys. I really enjoyed those guys. Um, you know, the, the thing for me is I think that I look back on, you know, was I, when I look back at the history of Florida basketball before I got there, it was like hard to believe they'd only been to five NCAA tournaments and it was hard to believe like some of the things happened. And I really felt like the goal, the challenge for me going into the job was could we maintain a sustained, sustained level of success? Cause it had never been done before, you know, and then when we kind of, we ended up, I think in the third or fourth, fourth year, maybe we ended up losing to the national championship to Michigan state. You're like, will you ever get back to this point again? We ever be fortunate to get back. And then we ended up having like five straight years right. of getting knocked out in the first or second round. And then we went on a run with those guys, Noah and Horford and Brewer and Torian Green and Lee Humphrey and Chris Richard and Adrian Moss, you know, and we ended up winning two national <clears throat> championships. But like, I felt like I stayed true to what we were trying to build there, you know, and I think that Dr. Cassisi said this to me and it like really, really stuck with me. He said, it's very, very rare in life that you get a chance to take something over, be a part of something that starts at the ground floor and then be able to build it all the way up. And the thing that was kind of neat was like everything was, you know, what was your plan? What was your plan? What was your plan? The only plan was, you know, can we build a program that can have sustained success? And and that was going to require a lot of effort, um, a lot of hard work, you know, in a lot of different areas from coaching to recruiting to hiring the right assistant coaches, the right people, strength coaches, you know. Um, all those things were going to be critical. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm happy that, you know, you could sell a vision to a lot of different people. A lot of different people could do their jobs such a high level to make that really, really a reality. And I do, re- I do deflect because, you know, I was a head coach and I'm being recognized for this. But I also really, you know, I, I know how 
blessed and fortunate I am that the good Lord put some people around me that um, allowed all this to take place. And I really, really, really believe that, that it's not, you know, I think I had the vision. It was my job as a leader to share that vision with our staff. Mm-hmm. But I had an unbelievable group of guys that were really talented and gifted that did a great job. You've heard probably from some former players who are going to be there for your dedication game, probably some coaches. Um, how many do you think you're going to be there? I'm, oh, my, my, my kids are going to be there. My, my, my mom and dad will be there. Um, Christine's parents will be there and her sister's going to be there. My sisters will be there. I'm assuming they've gotten reached out for some former players have reached out. Have you heard it from any? Um, Vernon Macklin. Mm-hmm. Um, talked to Dodo at our Dallas game. Said he's nice. going to come back. Larry Shiat will be there. Donnie Jones called me Very and cool. said he's going to come. So it seems like people, it's hard, you know, like Anthony Grant, Matt McCall, John Pelfrey, they're all coaching. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for them to make it. I wish they could be there. But I think the, the people that can make it happen, I think we'll try to make it happen. Are you prone to emotion for something like this? Will this be? Um, I hope I can keep it together. <laughs> I really do. Um, I think in my quiet by myself, I'll be very emotional by myself. You know what I mean? I'll just try to kind of keep it together there. But I think I'll be very, very emotional because um, I never kind of went in thinking that would happen or never really come went on, in. Come on, come on. When I first got the job at 28 well, years no, old, 30 years old, yeah, yeah, but I'm saying I, I didn't know what was going to happen. You know, you're 30 years old and mm-hmm. I'm married. I got two that's kids. Right, My right. wife's pregnant with our third, and you know, you're you're you're, you're starting over, and, the, and and we had two losing seasons to start the season, and that was the one thing I always really admired about Jeremy is I felt like he was always extremely supportive in the most difficult times. Mm-hmm. You know, he was always there for me in the most difficult times, and he knew I was okay in the in the good times, but. It will be emotional for me why I'm by myself and I have time to reflect. I think what happens is, is like when you go into those situations, I start seeing former players, you start connecting yes. with them. I see former coaches, I see former staff members. Stuff flashes before. And just, yeah, right. hey, how you doing? You see everybody. But then I think like by myself in my quiet moments, I think I would, I'll, I'll, I'll be emotional and I hope I can keep it together if I have to get up there and speak. Christine doesn't think she's going to be able to keep it together. She's, she's really? It's going to be pretty emotional for you for her. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, she never told me that. So she's telling you a little she told bit me more. Last, yeah. yeah. Have you followed the Florida since you left? I don't have time to really watch games like from start to finish. Right. I can see a little bit here and there. Obviously, I follow the scores. Um, there's still a lot of people that I work with that are there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jeremy's still around. Preston Green, Tracy Paff, Duke Warner, Tom Williams. You know, I still keep in touch with those people. So I definitely follow them from afar. Obviously, I knew. The last four years, a lot of the players, because I recruited a lot of those guys. Yes. And um, it was interesting to, to, to follow their careers. I don't really, because of the number of games up here, it's really hard to be able <laughs> to sit down and watch a game, right. you know, because we're playing or I've got to watch film or work. So I don't necessarily get a chance to see a lot of games, but certainly I follow the scores and want to see them do well. How many guys on a given night we face that you were actively involved in recruiting at some time? It seems like I always say to our, our coaching staff on the bench, I, I recruited that guy. We didn't, we didn't get we him. We didn't get him. <laughs> um, there's a lot of guys. I named some guys. Julius Randle. Sure. Justice Winslow. Yeah. Call Anthony Towns. Yes. Jason Tatum. We'll see after the fact. A little bit Tatum. Yeah. Recruited him a little bit. Yeah. Jalen Brown a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Uh-huh. Um, he was from Atlanta. Just trying to think some of those, those, those kind of guys, that age guys, guys that are three or four years in the league now. Mm-hmm. Um, are probably good guys. Um, Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah so there's a lot of them. A lot of them, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nerlens, recruited Nerlens. Of course you did, yes. Early in the season, there was a really cool video that made its rounds among Florida fans. It was the Thunder. I think you guys were at Washington. In the post game, Beal came up and gave you a big hug. Chris Chioza mm-hmm. gave you a big hug. 
Um, that was really cool. Do you do you kind of have any kind of emotional connection with guys like that when you see oh, them? Yeah. Especially like a guy like Beal who he was going to be Ray Allen or people were compared to Ray Allen. I remember sitting the day he announced he was leaving and I was talking to you about it and I talked to him and you said he's not Ray Allen yet, but he's going to be. He's pretty close to being Ray Allen right now. Isn't yeah. He? Yeah. I mean, it's like Michael Frazier's at Houston. Michael Frazier. See him. Houston. Chioza. Horford. Dodo. 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 Yeah, Haslam come down. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's they're getting old. Like I see Matt Bonner before the games in San Antonio. <laughs> um, yeah, there's definitely an emotional connection, and they all come over and say hello. And it's just you know, like I'm happy for those guys, you know. But I think for them too, like the one thing I think all these guys up here, you know, like college guys, all want to get to the NBA, want to get to the NBA. But it, you know, it, it, there's a job to it. You know, I give Dodo a lot of credit because he's had to figure it out, yes. kind of going on. You know, what was he? Did he get drafted? Dodo no, didn't get drafted. No, you know, he, he's had to kind of figure it out. Chioza's kind of had to figure it out. Yeah. Frazier's had to figure it out. So I give those guys a lot of credit because after being up here, to see what Dodo's done or Haslam's done or to stick, right? Yes, is is unbelievable how hard that is, and it speaks to those guys' character in in, in a big time way. You see these guys, you're reminded of your time at the program. Now you get to go back and get reminded of you think there'll just be a whole bunch of memories flashing as you walk out now you haven't been to the O-Dome since it's been done, I've been redone, there right no I haven't been there um yeah I mean you know it's really it's really obviously I've born and raised in New York and you go away to college for like you know four years right and then trying to play professionally doesn't kind of work out for a few years you're in the CBA you're in these different places right then I'm at Kentucky for kind of five years Christine and I are just starting a family you know, we're at Marshall now. We have two kids. Christine's pregnant, leaving to go to Florida with our third. And it was 19 years. So my oldest was four. My youngest, next one was two. And then Christine was pregnant with Brian. And I could not have imagined a better place to raise a family. Mm-hmm. And just the thing I loved about Gainesville was almost like a melting pot because of Shans and North Florida and the school. You have people coming from all walks of life from different parts of the country that are living there. And, um, the, the weather, the fact that you're not far from either coast, uh, the fact that the university, there's so much going on in town. It was a safe place um, for my kids to grow up. Um, my kids got a chance to experience football games, basketball games, baseball games. We took my daughters to volleyball games, to gymnastics, women's tennis. And then the coaches there from Roland to Sully, you know, to even Lopez when I first got here. It was just an incredible environment. And I think about, you know, being 30 years old coming there and like, you don't know, you know, you just don't know what's going to happen. It could be and gone in three years. For that's right. right. That's my point and how fleeting it is. But like I had a chance to, to work in a pretty volatile profession and be able to stay a place for 19 years and have my family be raised there in an incredible community with, you know, my kids, you know, we all think of Gainesville as home and, um, There'll always be a connection there, you know, for us, no matter what. Well, you sound like you're thankful for them, but obviously it's being reciprocated because they'll always be home there for you because now it's going to be Billy Donovan Court forever. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, that's, for, <laughs> you know, for that to happen is just amazing. You know what I mean? It's really is amazing. And um, I think there's a, there's a part of me that uh, is incredibly humbled, is incredibly like overwhelmed by it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I look at myself. I was this five foot ten kid that grew up in New York, and <laughs> all this stuff kind of happened. But you know, but I'm I I um like I've been really 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 blessed, and I've been really really um who I who who I work with Jeremy to, to having Donnie and Pell and Anthony go with me to there 
having Duke with me as long as he was, and then to have Preston come in, Tom Williams, Tracy, Jeremy, like all these guys were there the whole entire time. And it was kind of like a perfect storm, like, you know what I mean? Because like there's just, I worked with unbelievable people, you know, and I'm so grateful for that. And a lot of those people sacrificed for me on what I thought was our vision of what we could do with Florida basketball. And everybody shared in that vision that was involved in the program. And that's the thing that, like, when you get a bunch of people rolling in the right direction, a lot of incredible things can happen. And for that, like, I'm very, very grateful for that. As you just heard, it's very tough to get Billy Donovan to pat himself on the back. However, that doesn't mean there isn't a conga line of others ready to do just that. So as we open this week's roundtable, we asked Chris to reflect on the time he spent with Billy and what he may have been feeling deep beneath the surface. You know, I got the sense of it, obviously, when it was all announced back in December. And I think we talked about it on the show in that, um, you know, the Scott Strickland and Jeremy Foley went out there, took Kenny and his wife to dinner and kind of surprised him with it. And, you know, he had the <laughs> he acted like it was this, this big shock when in reality, I think anybody that knows anything about the history of Florida basketball said this is this was something that was going to happen. And it maybe already should have happened. Maybe they should have put a statue out in front of him from the moment he exited here. But the sincere humility of this guy has always been uh, one of his greatest attributes. And um, as far as how that has translated to what he's doing in the NBA, uh, that's a big part of the of, of the story that I found out. Basically, I went out there, Adam, to do a, a story on Billy's second life as a coach. Uh, we all know what he did in college, two years at Marshall, and of course, 19 at Florida, won 502 games, went to the NCAA tournament at Florida 14 out of 19 times, 467 and 186 here, six SEC titles, two national championships, and incredible, incredible teams and incredible memories along the way. You know, people wondered how he would do uh, going into the NBA because it's it's far from an automatic. Uh, you think of over the last you know 30 years, Rick Pitino, John Calipari, uh, Lon Kruger, these guys have gone to the NBA and it hadn't worked. Uh, Brad Stevens and Billy Donovan have gone and it has worked. Uh, he's got a winning percentage uh, in the NBA of over 600. And his team right now, um, I think the perception was when Oklahoma City traded Russell Westbrook uh, two years after Kevin Durant had left that this team was going to you know, bottom out or they were in a rebuild mode. Well, Billy Donovan didn't let him do that. Uh, and his relationship that he forged with Chris Paul has turned the thunder into one of better, uh, more successful stories of the season. I talked to Jeff Van Gundy, the NBA analyst for ESPN. This is the most overachieving team in the league right now. And so you, you look at, I talked to a lot of players out there. It's, it's, it's the way he attacked this. I mean, he, he went out of his way to find out and to, and to fact find since he got this NBA job, what is the best way to succeed? And by doing that, he basically said, I don't really know a whole lot about, I've never coached an NBA game. You guys, you guys can help me. And so he's been able to become a great NBA coach using a lot of the same things that made him a, a great college coach. And yet the, the two jobs are completely different. In the NBA, uh, the coaches, uh, let's face it, are secondary to the players. In college, uh, whether you're talking any sport, the coach is the face of the franchise. And the coach uh, is, is the judge and the jerk. And anyway, this, it's five years. 
and now he's coming back and all these memories of these great things are going to come just flashing at him at a rate like a, a, an NBA game, probably as he sees some of these uh, ex-former players, as he sees some of the former coaches, as he hears some of the testimonials of a, a come on a video that's going to be played uh, at halftime when they officially dedicate this floor. I've seen a video. It's amazing. Um, his quote to me was, I hope I can keep it together. I think I will. He goes, but in my private time, I'm going to get pretty emotional about it. Uh, his wife, Christine, very nice to me when I was out there, went over to their dinner, to, or went over to their home for dinner a couple nights. Um, she said she, she's not going to be able to keep it together. She probably won't even uh, be uh, try to hide it. But when you see the some of the players that are coming back for this, you're talking about some NBA All-Stars that aren't won't be in the All-Star game this weekend that will be coming back to uh, pay tribute to their former coach. It is going to, I mean, Florida's playing Vanderbilt and it is going to be a, uh, the game's going to be secondary because this is going to be a really, really big deal for one of the biggest deals that ever walked on campus. I, I've said before what Billy Donovan did with basketball at Florida, maybe the greatest coaching job of any coach in the history of our state. And I'm talking pro or college because of the something from nothing element of the whole thing. You think what Florida basketball was before Billy Donovan, five NCAA tournaments in the history and what it was after Billy Donovan left, what he built it, what he forged, uh, really on his own. And it's going to be quite a time for, you know, 11,000 plus to uh, stand and salute him for uh, everything he's been able to do. And I'm, I'm sure it's going to be a pretty unforgettable uh, Saturday night. Yeah, it, it's interesting just thinking about kind of the place that he holds, as you were just touching on, Chris. But really, you're going to have Billy Donovan Court right across the street from Steve Spurrier, Florida Field. And, and when you look at basically the Mount Rushmore of Gator coaches, it feels like it's really the, the two of them at, at a level that, that not a lot of other people can even come close to, right? That's right. And in, in so many ways, I mean, everyone knew Flo uh, Spurrier talked about it when he got here. They, Florida had been uh, a bunch of underachievers when it came to, to football. Um, they didn't have a whole lot of things to lean on. And of course, the famous... Uh, Dan Jenkins saying Florida has the the arrogance of Notre Dame and the backed by the tradition of Wake Forest. You know, Spur, Spurrier understood that. It never won in an SEC title uh, until he got here. And he, you know, I'm not going to say it was something out of nothing because he was the first one to say, we have everything we have to, to be a dominant college football program. And he was able to do that. But yeah, when you say, you say Steve Spurrier, Florida Field, Billy Donovan Court, usually naming stuff like that requires writing very large checks. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, these guys have done it by being given very large checks right. after winning a whole bunch of right. games and they're, it's beyond deserving of the honor. Obviously, uh, Billy Donovan court is, is obviously the right thing to do. And when you look, when you think about around the country, whether it's Pat Summit, coach K court, uh, Roy Williams court, Jim Beheim court, it's for all the big timers and for all the legends. And Van Gundy pointed out to me, because think about it. He goes, the, the people you just named, he goes, they never left. This guy left and they're doing this for him. So uh, I think it speaks to not only his success as a basketball coach in Florida, but also the relationships he forged along the way. And uh, I anticipate when they give him the microphone, that's the stuff he's going to be talking about. He's not going to be talking about the championships he won. He's going to be talking about the people that helped him win those championships from the players to the administration, to his assistant coaches, support staff, everybody. And uh, 
he gets two and a half minutes and um we've all interviewed billy before he he, he can be verbose at times but uh he's gonna have a hard time i think condensing it, the message that he wants to convey and the thank yous that he wants to put out into those two and a half minutes but uh again it'll be very very emotional and it'll be very very loud i imagine no so much of what chris said i mean it's spot on if you know the gators and you know the history you know what it was before Billy and after Billy. It should be what BB and AB periods here at you know Florida Athletics because he he has had as much impact on uh, men's basketball at Florida than I think any coach ever in any sport here. And uh, you know everything Chris said, obviously about the person he is. I mean, you, you saw that close up if you were ever around him. Uh, he was one of those guys that I never saw him big time anybody, never heard anybody speak badly of him, um, had the respect of his players, uh, his assistants. Uh, he, he did things the right way, and uh, he lived in an age where not everybody does that. And not only did he do it the right way, he won at the highest level. And I just think it's very well-deserving, and uh, you like to see good people rewarded. And uh, when I think of Billy Donovan, I, I think of a, a great coach and a good person and uh, not necessarily in uh, that order. So there's obviously a lot of attention on the court naming, but there's also a game to be played, a very important game, because Florida, as we've noted, Chris, they're running out of options to really boost this resume, and what they can have at this stage are more bad losses. And if you look at Vanderbilt and their record and their resume, that's not a game Florida can afford to lose at home. So in addition to the emotion and the pageantry around this naming of the court, uh, they also have to take care of business against the Commodores. Yeah, and you need to beat Vanderbilt at home on the night it becomes Billy Donovan court too, I would imagine. So, sure. uh, look, first of all, Florida's running out of chances. Everyone knows that, uh, you know, here, here comes Vanderbilt, uh, obviously a team with nothing to lose. It's a team that's played very well. It's a team that, uh, came back and, and gave Florida a scare a couple weeks ago in Nashville and then turned around and, and beat LSU that, w- which was undefeated at eight, no in conference play when they scored 99 points on. Them. Wow. Okay. They, yeah, 99 points. They had a they had a guard that was averaging seven points a game. I think he hit three threes in the last um, three minutes against Florida that get them back in the game. He goes out the next game, scores 31. So uh, Vanderbilt's not not as bad as their record says. Uh, yes, your your record is what your record is, but they played Kentucky over the last two weeks and have had the lead inside 10 minutes both times, uh, lost the game both times, obviously. So, yes, Florida has to beat Vanderbilt. Uh, you know, they got Arkansas coming in after that. Florida needs to beat Arkansas at home. These are obvious things because over the course of the last uh, three weeks, uh, you got two games against Kentucky. You got a home game against LSU. You got a road game at Tennessee where Florida has only, I think, won once in the last eight years. So um, the opportunities to start stockpiling victories – are there, but they're limited. And you're going to have to win some games that people aren't expecting you to win also. And right now, Florida has just been up and down, up and down, up and down. You can can sit here and say it has to change, but we've been saying that for a few weeks now. Uh, But they will have the opportunities to to stockpile some wins. And again, you got to steal some uh, from better teams. And if you do that, like they did last year, Florida last year at one point had a five-game winning streak and then I think lost their last three regular season games and then uh, made the NCAA tournament by by making a mini run in the SEC tournament. So all these opportunities are still there, but you don't want to leave it to drama late in the season where you're, where you're going to the SEC tournament. Well, do we have to win this game? Do we have to win this game? 
you know, put it on your resume now. And it starts with beating Vanderbilt at home. And again, on Billy Donovan court on what should be a, a great night. I just remember the, in the movie, Brian's song, they go to the hospital and they present Brian Piccolo with a signed football. The bears do. And he says, thanks a lot guys. But on a, when you dedicate a game to someone, you're supposed to win it. <laughs> they're supposed to win. They're supposed to win this game Saturday night against Vanderbilt and take whatever that is and springboard it on. Maybe Billy Donovan can give them some, some mojo they greatly need. Uh, certainly I would imagine uh, he's going to see those players and, Maybe that ought to get them going a little bit. They could certainly use it right this time. Yeah, no question about that. You know, we get these big weekends on campus sometimes where obviously you've got everything surrounding Billy D and the naming of the court and the pageantry there. Uh, and then just next door, you have baseball opening up their season against Marshall, ironically enough, where Billy Donovan started his coaching career, albeit in a different sport. But uh, Scott, you know, we talked a lot about baseball as they're getting ready for this season and trying to come back after, you know, a, a subpar year in 2019, especially relative to their lofty standards. So uh, what can you tell us about opening weekend and, and where Kevin O'Sullivan's team is at? Yeah, it's a season that, you know, Kevin Sullivan's 13th in charge of the program. And when you look back at last season, uh, it was very uncharacteristic for the Gators and under a Sullivan's watch in that they had a, they were 13th in the league in pitching, which, uh, you know, 5.37 ERA. That was a, a nearly a run higher than any other team that a Sullivan has had, has had here. And the highest overall for the program since uh, they set the record back in 2001. Uh, when it was a little different game, had a URA that year of 6.01. So it's going to start with pitching uh, for this program to get back on track toward Omaha. And, you know, even though last year it wasn't their best year under O'Sullivan, they still made the NCAA tournament. Uh, they're wanting to get back there again, and it's going to start, as I said, with the pitching, uh, certainly the start in rotation with Tommy Mace and Jack Left, which uh, those two guys have to uh, – pick it up some from what they did last year as sophomores. You know, they can uh, continue their development and prove to be, you know, a couple of the top starters in the league in Florida. They would certainly be in the conversation by the end of the year uh, in regards to Omaha. And behind them, you know, the freshman Hunter Barco is someone to watch. Nick Pogue, who we've seen a little bit last year. So, you know, it's, it's a typical Sullivan roster in that you got a lot of hard-throwing pitchers. Uh, a lot of these guys are in the low to mid-90s. Uh, the lineup, uh, they, they're losing a couple of key pieces in Brady McConnell and Nelson Maldonado. They have a, a lot of young talent coming in. Catcher Nathan Hickey is someone to keep an eye on. He's a potential middle-of-the-order uh, hitter at catcher at third base. Uh, I think Kendrick Callalau at first base is due to have a bigger year. They have veteran leadership and a guy like uh, Austin Langworthy in the outfield. And, you know, most uh, people who are familiar with the college baseball, uh, I think most consider center fielder Jub Fabian uh, their top prospect. Uh, he is an outstanding defensive player uh, already. And now if he can just uh, pick it up at the plate, you're talking about a uh, All-American candidate in center field. So they like the roster. Uh, it's really just a matter of going out. And uh, as uh, Sullivan said this week, you know, once the lights go on, uh, they've been doing it in practice. Uh, they looked really good in the spring and fall. Uh, but now it's time uh, when the light comes on and they finally do on Friday night on Valentine's Day. So I don't know. I don't know, Adam, if you took a lot of dates to baseball games. I can't say I did, but maybe there will be a few there. Who knows? <laughs> 
I said I should probably uh, answer that before Chris jumps in and, and undercuts me. That was an easy opening for Chris. You could take there. I'm, I'm glad I cut him off before he did. Um, it's been a couple weeks since we've had any football news, and, and that'll ramp up uh, once we start talking about the combine and the NFL draft and spring football. Uh, but we got more news in the, this in this past week, Scott, about uh, future scheduling. And again, it, it seems so far off, but. You know, Scott Strickland, you have to give him credit. He said he was going to schedule more aggressively and make a splash with Florida's non-conference. And that's continued to happen. And, and based on the latest news, Florida's going to be spending a lot of time out in the uh, the Mountain West and the West Coast coming up during a uh, you know about a 10-year stretch here in a few years. Yeah, this is definitely a new era for Florida football scheduling, Adam. And uh, we've seen it now. You, you can go ahead and look out. Starting in 2022, you can go... Uh, for the next 10 seasons. And the Florida already has non-conference power five home and aways. The latest being the University of California out in Berkeley. Uh, they're going to play here in Gainesville, I think 2026 out there, 2027, if I have my years right. But, you know, as of now, that's going to be Florida's first game in the state of California since uh, the 1989 Freedom Bowl. Uh, that takes you back. Ways, uh, but they are they, they have home and homes against Colorado, Arizona State, Utah, Miami, USF, with two here in Gainesville, one down in Tampa, and Texas, of course, uh, at the end of this decade, early in the 30s. So yeah, some of these games are out, but they're stacking up to where you know now you can look at the schedule as a Gator fan, and basically every season uh, in the decade, I mean, there's a new option there that. If Florida hasn't had, if ever, if they have, it's been decades. Uh, they haven't played at Texas in 92 years by the time that game happens. So that kind of gives you an idea how rare some of these matchups are. And uh, I, I think like Scott Strickland has, has said this. I, and I think he's smart doing it. I mean, it's the, really the sign of the times that we live in. I mean, for a long time, uh, you could schedule to get these games at home. You could bring in two or three cupcakes a year. Your fans were okay with it because, you know, there's only six or seven home games a year to attend. Uh, it's a it's a social outing. It's a chance to get back to campus. But now the fan base has changed in what the options are, the way they like to experience the games. And at the top of what you're hearing, uh, the reason that so many of these schools around the country have uh, tackled the issue of filling some of these empty seats is, hey, we want to see good games first kind of new matchups that maybe we haven't seen get new experiences, go to new places on the road. So I, I think uh, Scott Strickland's taken a proactive approach as even, you know, before this latest matchup uh, was announced. Remember a couple months ago, he even took to Twitter uh, to kind of engage some of his fellow ADs to see what kind of potential matchups were looming out there. And uh, uh, so it, it's been a, a change of philosophy, but I think it's a smart one in this uh in today's landscape, and uh, again, I'm I'm all for these kind of matchups. Uh, Florida and Cal, last time they played was 1980 in Tampa Stadium. So by the time they play, it'll be 45 years. So hey, that's something new. And some of those changes to the future college football scheduling are probably a reaction to what ADs like Scott Strickland imagine will be the new normal when it comes to the playoff system. You got to think 
when some of these games are happening 10, 12 years from now, there's going to be more than four teams. You're going to have to have a, an elevated strength of schedule, which Florida is trying to address with some of these matchups. But as we move to our PAT, I want to talk about uh, another sport that's discussing changing their playoff format. And that, of course, would be Major League Baseball. Uh, this is kind of a, a bold move they're talking about taking the teams, almost doubling the number of teams that make it, adding in this almost reality show fantasy draft portion of it where teams would get to choose who their opponents were. It all sounds, it's different. I don't know that it sounds good, uh, but curious for, for your thoughts on Major League Baseball's current playoff system and are some of these proposed changes good or bad for the future of the game? I loved it last year. <laughs> I thought you did, yeah. I mean, how much, how many more teams can you put in, in baseball when you're talking about, will they be playing the World Series when the first bowl game is played? <laughs> I mean, how, how many more teams can you put in there, Scott? Oh, they're talking about, what, 14 teams, which would almost be half of baseball. So, yeah, it's, it, to me, this is a bad idea all across the board. Uh, and you're also devaluing what is a unique regular season even more. You know, baseball, let's face it, it's not America's pastime anymore. I mean, football is clearly past it in the American consciousness, but it's still, to me, a great, great game. And uh, there's such a unique aspect of 162-game schedule. I mean, things are going to sort itself out most of the time over that period. But now, so let's say you have a great division race and you have two or three teams in a division, you know, they're within two or three games of first and you, it's solved. But now they all three make the playoffs. Uh, it, to me, man, it's just uh, it takes away from some of the tradition. I know people out there probably don't care about tradition. Okay, boomer. Right? <laughs> yeah, That's what they're there's right? still a place for tradition, but there's a reason that baseball has lasted as long as it has uh, as a major American sport. And uh, you start making these kind of changes and it's getting closer and closer to uh, kind of like in a, a secondary sport like XFL or uh, arena football. I just think it's one that has the fan base probably that is most tradition attached to tradition. So and we've seen a lot of changes in recent years. And yes, sometimes it works out like last year where the Nationals made a great run by uh, getting in as a wild card team. But they got in as, as a wild card team. What, uh, what I mean, they were 12 games under 500 in May. And so yeah. I, think a I think a lot of this stuff is, okay, in July, uh, half the Major League Baseball is eliminated, correct? A lot of you, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So so it sounds to me like they're saying, well, what, what can we do to make things more interesting so people more engage? I don't know if that has to do with attendance or, or uh, uh, you know, uh, TV, you know, viewership or whatever. Because, you know, the NBA and the NHL, half the league get in the playoffs. I just don't see how you can do that in baseball. And it seems to me that the way they're doing it right now works fine. I think that I think they should sink more man hours into preventing teams from cheating. And they can <laughs> to try to try to get more teams into the playoffs. That's that seems to me like the, that would be one of the things they'd be most focused on right now if they were the as far as the MLB brass is concerned. Yeah, I mean, this also could be a, a move to kind of take the spotlight away from that some. Sure. Good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I just feel like uh, they're spinning their wheels some on, on the game. Uh, if they if they get too far deep into this, it's almost like you, you create like the bowl system now. You know, people complain all the time that there are too many bowl games, so it dilutes the system some. So uh, they're, they're, gonna, they're walking a thin line here. 
Yeah, for me, I really feel like Major League Baseball has almost got it right with the five teams in each league, two of them being wild cards. The only thing they need to do is just have the division series become best of seven, and then the wild card game needs to be a best of three series. That would give the division winners, especially the winner with the best record who has to play the wild card team, a real advantage uh, and opportunity over the course of a seven game series to show who really has the more superior team, especially if you're basing it off a 162 game regular season. Hard to have a best of five and say that that's representative of your team when you're playing by far the longest season and the most number of games of any of the other major sports that have even more teams that make it to their postseason. So that conversation will uh, it'll continue on because these changes are at least a couple years away if they do even happen. Uh, but what is not a couple years away is a lot of excitement on campus this weekend. The naming of the court for Billy Donovan on Saturday, baseball's opening weekend on Valentine's Day. Uh, there's just so much going on. So we encourage everybody to, to stay tuned to FloridaGators.com for all the content from Chris and Scott. And for the latest happenings, follow them on Twitter at GatorsScott at Gators Chris. Uh, gentlemen, thank you for, for bringing the love to us this Valentine's week, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Adam. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Be sure to visit FloridaGators.com for all the latest news in the orange and blue, including scores, schedules, and more. Then come back next week for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in Gainesville.